Oh, there was a, a young man between the ages 30 to 35 who went on a, a men's weekend with, with the local church. And as he's there, you know, they're, they're meeting with God and these walls start coming down. And he realizes in the middle of this weekend that he has never told his father that he loved him and that he appreciated him. And he decides right then and there that when he gets home, he's going to do just that. And so he gets home from, from, from this, this weekend, and he sits down in his chair, and he picks up the phone, and he calls his dad. And his dad answers, and he said, hi, dad, it's me. And dad said, hi, son, I'll get your mom. He said, no, 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 I, I want to I talk to you. So there's a pause. And dad says, do you need money? <laughs> he says, no, dad, I've, I've been remembering our life. I've been remembering my childhood. I've been remembering all the things in, in my life that, that you did for me, the, the times that you were there, the things that you taught me, the fact that, that you put a roof over my head and food in my belly and you taught me right from wrong and, and you did all these things that I needed you to do and you worked to, to put all those things there and you worked to put me through school and you supported us and my life is going well now and I, I realize it's because of what you did to get me started. He said, I just I realized that, that I've never said thanks. And so there's signs. He says, so dad, I just want to say thanks and I love you. His father, after a few moments, said, son, have you been drinking? <laughs> have you ever felt that way? How often does our life go like that? We don't realize what we have to be thankful for until much later. We don't see the blessings until much later. We've come to this time of the year where we talk about being thankful. If you're on social media, lots of people are into that 30 days of thankfulness, right? And every day they put what they're thankful for. And so we have all these stories of, of thankfulness that come out. And we're told to be thankful, but sometimes, maybe we aren't thankful. Sometimes we, we aren't thankful for the things that we have. So this morning, I wanted to come at Thanksgiving from a little bit of a different angle. I don't want to just talk about being thankful. I want to look at what happens when we're not thankful. I want to examine our attitude and what an unthankful heart does and how that might affect our relationship with God and our relationship with each other, our relationship even with ourselves. This morning we're way back in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers is a strange part of a book. Uh, there are lots of things in there and you, and you look at it and you go, huh? Uh, there's lots of little known laws and rituals inside Numbers. We have some history there, too, some things that are going on, some things that are happening. But we, in the middle of the history, we have this story of thanklessness. Is that a word? Thanklessness. In Numbers 11, is where we'll be, um, so far the people have count, been counted. So they have done a census. They know everybody who has come out of Egypt. They know who was in the camp. They know who was there. They have had blessings from God. God has been providing for them all along the way. He has parted the Red Sea. He has taken care of attacks. He has done all the things that need to be done. He has given a, a pillar of, of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He has done all the things and taken care of them. He has given them instructions. They have made offerings. They have consecrated the priestly tribe. They've been in the desert for a year. And now God is preparing to try to move them into Canaan. And that's when we come to our text this evening there in Numbers chapter 11, starting in verse 4. And it says, Contemptible people among them had a strong craving for other food. 
The Israelites cried again and said, Who will feed us meat? We remember the free fish we ate in Egypt along with the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There's nothing to look at but this manna. Now the manna resembled coriander seed in its appearance was like that of delium. The people walked around and gathered it. They ground it on a pair of grinding stones or crushed it in a mortar and then boiled it in cooking pot and shaped it into cakes. It tasted like a pastry cooked with the finest oil. When the dew fell on the camp at night, the manna would fall with it. Moses heard the people, family after family, crying at the entrance of their tents. The Lord was very angry. Moses was also provoked. So Moses asked the Lord, Why have you brought such trouble on your servant? Why are you angry with me? And why did you burden me with all these people? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth so you should tell me, carry them at your breast as a nursing woman carries a baby to the land that you swore to give their, their fathers? Where can I get meat to give all these people? For they are crying to me, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. They're too much for me. If you're going to treat me like this, please kill me right now. If you are pleased with me, don't let me see my misery anymore. And the Lord answered Moses, Bring me 70 men from Israel, known to you as elders and officers of the people. Take them to the tent of meeting and have them stand there with you. And I will come down and speak with you there. I will take some of the spirit who was on you and put the spirit on them. They will help you bear the burden of the people so that you do not have to bear it by yourself. Tell the people, purify yourselves in readiness for tomorrow, and you will eat meat because you cried before the Lord. Who will feed us meat? Well, we really have it good in Egypt. The Lord will give you meat and you will eat. You will eat it not for one day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out your nostrils and becomes nauseating to you because you have rejected the Lord who was among you and cried to him, why did we ever leave Egypt? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your word and the truth that it contains. Father, use me as a vessel this morning. May my words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake. And all God's people said. I love this story. It's one of those stories to me that tells me God has a sense of humor. Um, and as I read this, I felt akin to it a little bit. It's not quail for me. It's pizza. But, you know, that's, I, I, I've kind of felt that way. Um, so I understand where that is from. But as I, as I read this, and as I looked at what it's saying, the first thing that jumps out to me that the Israelites are missing, and sometimes we miss, is that God knows what you have and don't have. God knows. He knows what you have. He knows what you don't have. It's amazing to me how petty we can be as people. It's amazing to me that we get strange about our possessions. And I'm as guilty as the next. I'll find myself griping and complaining over what I perceive to be my lack of something. Whether that's money or food or fellowship or skills or whatever it is, my perceived needs, the things that I think that I need. But God already knows what I do and don't have. He already understands what it is that I need. He knows exactly what he's provided me with. And so when I cry out in frustration and anger, I'm crying out against God because he knows. He knows where I stand. And sometimes I'm crying out because I squandered something. 
The worst times are whenever I'm saying, God, I just have enough money to make ends meet. He goes, did you need that cup of coffee you paid $5 for? Yeah, God, I didn't ask you that. I said I didn't have enough money. And so often we get mad because we're just not doing the things that God wants us to do. But God already knows what you have. But more importantly, God knows what I need better than I do. I love the first phrase of this passage. It says, contemptible people among them. Contemptible people. People with contempt for God. I just want meat. <coughs> I want meat so bad that I want to go back to what I was crying out to God to release me from for hundreds of years. I mean, we remember where they're coming from, right? They were slaves. They were slaves where the Pharaoh was trying to make sure their people died off. He gave midwives instructions to kill their babies. He was trying to make sure they had it as hard as they could have it. And so they took the straw away from them to make the bricks. They made it as hard as they could. It was the hardest labor you could ever imagine. But yet they're going, we remember how good we had it in Egypt. We had an all-you-can-eat buffet of fish. What do you think fish would get tied up to? I'm just not you. That, that's where they're at. They're contemptible because they want more. They want something. And they... they, they Nothing to look at here except for manna. All we ever have is this manna. They're crying out for a want, but God has been giving them what they need. Manna was 100% nutrition. It took care of every need they could have nutritionally was met by manna. It wasn't, it wasn't like it was gross. Evidently, it was pretty good. It was like a, a fine pastry, it says, made with the finest oil. You ever have one of those good pastries that you can just eat all day long? Ooh. That's what it tasted like. They didn't even admit every need they had. They had everything they needed and it tasted pretty good, but they didn't want that. They wanted what they wanted. They desired what they desired, even if it was lacking. Anybody can tell you that a pure protein is going to be okay for a while, <laughs> but eventually it becomes dangerous because you're lacking vital nutrients. But they just wanted that. I want meat. I want meat. There are a lot of us like that, right? I want meat. I have a hard time having a meal with no meat in it. Even my potato soup has bacon in it. I mean, you know, there's meat in it somewhere. We all want meat. And that's why I blame the Israelites. I understand them here in a very big way. Because manna may have been good and all those things, but I know. And so they're crying out for what they wanted, even if it didn't give them what they need. How often do we do that? How often do we let what we want get in the way of what we need? Mm. We do that all the time, right? I want this, but I need this. I want to go to Hop Rack, but I need to go home to Hamburger. <laughs> right? I mean, I need the food. I need, I, I need the nutrients, but I don't need to spend the money I'm going to spend there. But what happens so often is, I want it, and I spend it. And then I have another need that doesn't get met, because I spent this over here when I needed it over here. So often we find ourselves like that. We make choices in every area of our life sometimes based on selfish desire rather than on godly guidance. But God knows what we need, and He gives us that. Sometimes He gives us what we want, the desires of our heart, 
But he doesn't give us what we want before he gives us what we need. I love reading the gospel accounts of Jesus and when he's teaching and he does all these things and there's the huge crowd and the, and the disciples come to him and go, Jesus, there's a lot of people here and we don't have enough money in this bag and there's not enough food around here. We need to send them home and Jesus says, no, give us something to eat. They're hungry. Did you know sometimes it's hard to listen when your belly is empty? There, there, there's a reason why you know, the state has started pretty much giving breakfast in a lot of schools because it's hard to pay attention in class if your belly's grumbling. And, and, and Jesus knows that. He took care of their needs before he took care of their wants because they had different needs. They wanted certain things. They wanted to hear it. But if God gave us all of what we wanted, we would remain malnourished. We would live anemic lives. We would live lives that were void of any true substance or spiritual nutrition. If we make all of our choices based on what we want... And that make us feel good. But if they're all about what we want, we've missed the point of Jesus' teaching. And we're in danger of being spiritually malnourished. I uh, had a youth group once who were the youth minister. Every year about this time, they would do a 30-hour homeless project. And so, and the youth looked forward to it. I, you know, I was getting too old at that point. Um, they would save their boxes and they would build their box homes and they would make somewhere to sleep in on the church lawn and for 30 hours they would be homeless. They had the church open so they could go in and go to the bathroom and things like that but they, they would be homeless for 30 hours and they would spend their day walking around the town at the different places panhandling for money and the money was then donated to a homeless shelter or something like that. They learned what it was like to not have everything they wanted because suddenly... They, they lost their, they lost warmth because it was always, every year, it got 30 degrees there while they were doing this. So they lost their warmth, they gave up their time, they gave up the food they wanted, they gave up their cell phones, they gave up everything to be homeless for 30 hours. And to spend this time to learn this. That's, it's Jesus. Learning to give these things up. Learning to give what you need rather than what you want. As believers, we can't do church if church is just about what I get. That's not church. It's never church. Church is about what I bring. It's about what I give. And our lives are the same. When we begin to be thankful for what we need, God begins to transform what we need into what we want. When we're thankful. We have a hard time with that, though, right? And let's be honest. Sometimes I don't want a peanut butter sandwich. I want a hamburger. But what I have is a peanut butter sandwich. And God's provided that peanut butter sandwich. And I should be thankful for what I have. But that's not what happens here. <laughs> so we need to answer the question, how can I approach God about my wants? Well, first be thankful that your needs are met. It's not a sin to tell God what you want. Because God wants to give you what you want. The sinful part comes in whenever you're not thankful for when he meets your needs. Because he meets our needs. He meets every need we have any. We wake up in the morning. We took a breath when we got up. We were able to get out of bed. Some mornings, I don't know. Some mornings, I lay there and I'm like, can I even get out of bed this morning? That's just the way we work. But God has blessed us in that way. So we have to be thankful for what we need. 
for our needs are met. We also, we don't need to be a grumbler. Um, yeah, maybe you stop, shouldn't even touch that one at all. But, um, you know that person who just has to tell you what all was wrong, right? The person who always seems negative over everything else. There's, there's never a good thing to say. It's always negative. The kids and I talked about it last Sunday, Mr. Grumble Dumps, right? I mean, he just, everything's negative. The sky's too blue, the sun's too hot, all of these things. And rather than dealing with an issue, they talk about it to other people. Because grumblers become another G word, gossips. That's what grumblers become. Now, here's my rabbit for the day. Gossip tears up relationships. Absolutely destroys relationships. It's gossip. Because we have this problem in, in humanity. We take what we know and we fill in what we don't Kids are watching a show on TV the other day. Some of you may have seen Big City Greens. You ever watch Big City Greens? Anyway, it's on the Disney. And they're sitting there and they're doing people watching. But in their people watching, they're telling stories about the people that they see. And they're making up these huge, great big stories. That's what happens a lot, especially in small towns. We think we know a little bit, and we take the little bit that we do know, and we add to it what we think we found out from evidence that we think we've seen. And suddenly, what was a simple thing becomes something great big. There was a girl that I went to school with, Jessica, we'll call her, or Mary, or whatever you call She came from a big family. And the woman that was in the house was not her birth mom. But all of the children in the house looked exactly like her. And at one point, the family moved away for 10 months. <laughs> We're gone for 10 months. And came back with a new baby that looked exactly like Mary. Can you imagine what people began to say? Because we take what we think we know and we add to it. We can't assume. We can't make assumptions about what we think may or may not be true. You can't assume to know anything. Don't assume that you know what goes on between a parent and their children. Don't assume to think you know what goes on between spouses. Don't assume to think you know what goes on between anybody else that you aren't one of those two people. If you're not one of the two people in the situation, leave it alone. It's not yours to deal with. And it's not yours to talk about. That's where we're at. You leave those things alone. Because what happens is, we find that the relationships begin to crumble. That's what happens here. We need to take our desire to God rather than somebody else. These people are going to Moses going, give us some meat. What's Moses going to do? Moses is just leading them to do what God tells him to do. What's he supposed to do? He doesn't know either. If we went on into verse 21, the first thing Moses says is, I'm in the middle of 600,000 foot soldiers, and you say, I'm going to give them meat. Where's that going to come from, God? Moses has a breakdown because of all the things that are going on, because there's a couple of million people grumbling 
to him about wanting meat. And they began talking. And that's drove away between Moses and the people, between Moses and God, and between the people and God. When people begin to talk about things they don't know and it starts to spread, you need to be the one to cut them off and say, stop, it's none of your business. That's where we need to be with that. It's not your business. Are you one of them? I mean, they're sitting there. I imagine some people in Israel were going, thank you, God, for giving us manna. But then the guy next door, he was outside going, I am so tired of this stinking manna. I wish I just had a little bit of meat. And you know, it's Moses' fault. We passed the Red Sea. I mean, God split it in two. There were fish laying all over the ground. Why don't we just pick it up? And all of a sudden, that begins to put that wedge there. We begin to find ourselves doing these things. We need to take our desire to God, not to somebody else. If you have a desire, talk to God. Don't tell somebody else about it. I'm not saying we don't share prayer requests. We're supposed to share prayer requests, but what happens too often with prayer requests is they become gossip. The truth is, with the prayer request, I need to know, well, I only need to know the person's name, honestly. Because remember that first point, God knows what I have and what I don't have? <laughs> That's the only thing I really need to know is their name. But if you need to give me more, we need to know their name and we need to know what's wrong with them. We don't need to know what's going on with their mom and them. It doesn't matter. Because God takes care of those things. It's okay to share prayer requests. But guess what? Don't drop it off on my desk and think that I'm going to pray about it. That means you're going to get it. You gotta go to God. You gotta talk to God. You've got to cry out to God. Psalm 37 4 says, What? Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. The key here is that when you delight in God, your wants will not stay the same. Your selfishness will fall away. You won't want the things that you used to want. You're gonna to want to do things that you didn't want to do before. Rather than spending that money on me, I want to spend that money on somebody else. I want to do the things that I'm called to do. And I would be remiss if I didn't share this final warning. If you cannot do those three things, be careful what you wish for. Because I love God's response here. Okay. What I... I always read God as, 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 as my daddy would do things, right? Okay. You don't like what I gave you? I'm going to give it to you. My daddy would always, um, actually my mama who said, keep crying when you something to cry for. There you go. That's God here, right? He says, okay, you want me? I'm going to give you me. Not for a day, not for two days, not for, not for a week, but for a month. You are going to eat meat until it comes out your nose. relative prosperity. But with prosperity comes the inevitable urge to compare. Teddy Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you're more blessed than six million people who will not survive this week. 
If you've never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, or the pains of starvation, you are ahead of 500 million people in this world. If you can attend a church meeting without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, you are more blessed than 3 billion people in this world. If you have food in the refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, you're richer than 75% of the world. If you have money in the bank, in your wallet, and spare change in a dish someplace, or spare change in a dish someplace, you're among the top 8% of the world's wealthy people. If you have family that you can see on holidays, you are more blessed than 100 million orphans worldwide who have no one. Friends, those of us in this room are rich according to most of the world's standards. This Thanksgiving season, I ask you to look within yourself and ask God to show you what are your needs rather than your wants. Let's not make the mistake of the Israelites in the desert. You have everything you need, but you're crying against it for what you want. It's one thing to go to God and say, God, I really want this. It's another thing to become contemptible for it. Let's be thankful for God providing our needs and seek Him faithfully by blessing us with our wants. It's even when I'm up there and I'm talking about being thankful and be careful what you wish for, my human mind goes, yeah, but if I'm really wishing for $2 million, man, I want $2 million. But I've heard so many people I know who have money and it's not as good as we want to make it out to be. I am. Uh, Money is the world's biggest mistress. Because she calls to you. And once you have a taste of it, it's hard to walk away from. A few years ago, I was pastoring, but I was also working two other places. Or, I was working one other place and I had three other side hustles on the side. So, you know, and Harry kept saying, we never see you. You're never home. You're not here. You're always gone. And it was like, yeah, but if I just make this, we can do this. Because once you have a taste of it, it's hard to let go. We have to learn to be thankful. In disappointment. Um, that's a hard one to teach our kids. <laughs> um, kids were very disappointed the other night when they didn't get something inside Walmart. 
we get disappointed with bigger things. But on a small scale, there it is. And how do you explain that? Thankfully, I didn't have to. Because as I'm driving, and I said, guys, you know, Christmas is coming up. We want to make some memories together. We want to do some things. And Shiloh stopped me. And he said, you know, he said, we really don't need that. He said, because we need to learn to be, and use the word, we need to be content with what we have. And I went, oh. And then Micah said, no, thankful. I said, contentment goes with thankfulness. <laughs> We've got to be thankful. Sometimes life doesn't go how we want it to go, right? I mean, God didn't promise that when we follow him, we're going to get everything we ever wanted. He didn't promise that. No matter what some guy on TV tells you, he did not promise that. Sometimes we're going to not get the things that we want. Sometimes things are going to happen. Sometimes we're going to be sad. Sometimes we feel like our prayers don't get answered. And sometimes they don't. Sometimes he says no. There's all sorts of things that can happen. We have to learn to be thankful in those times. Thankful that, that he still hears us and he still loves us and we still have the things that we have. Maybe this morning you've been going through a season where it's been hard to be thankful. I think we've all gone through the seasons at times. It's time during this season to say, I'm thankful. I'm thankful, Jesus. And I want to follow you and I'm going to thank you for all the things that you give me. I give it all to you. Maybe this morning you've been struggling with something else completely. Maybe, maybe you've had a hard time even paying attention this morning because you have a need that's not being met. Come talk to me. That's what the church is for. You know what? I'm going to say this. I may be crucified, and that's fine. Um, the biggest failure I have seen in local churches, especially in small towns, is people don't share their needs because they're afraid someone else is going to become a gossip and talk about what they need. Shouldn't be that way. We're here to love each other. And if you have a need that's not being met, don't struggle with that alone. Come talk to me. Let's find a way through it. No judgment. It won't go and it won't go any further than it needs to go. Maybe this morning you want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to serve to missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning you've never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've never taken a step to say, I want him to be mine. I want to know that I am his. Now's the time. Don't let one day go by where you have not made that decision because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're guaranteed right now, this moment. I had a very hard day on Thursday because I had a family member share a post on Facebook about when they die, they do not want a Christian funeral because they are not a Christian and they hold no part of it. 
That hurts. I don't want anybody to leave this room today who does not know Jesus. Because I want to know that when I get there, you're going to be there with me. Father, we, we ask right now that you would take this time, Father, and use it for your glory. Father, make every need known.